Hello, welcome to the Six String Hayride Podcast with Chris Wainscott and Jim O'Malley. Join us on a journey through the world of classic country music. We will be talking about murder, prison, love, death, trains, horses, dancing, drinking, guitar picking, and the all-time great albums of country music. Stay tuned at the end of the episode. We'll be giving out recipes from the June Carter Johnny Cash Family Cookbook. And my partner Chris here is going to tell us what's on the hayride this week. Welcome to episode four of Six String Hayride. Last time we tackled Rolling Stone's list. This time we're going to tackle my list. Next time we're going to tackle Jim's list. So we're going to do some things a little bit different with our own lists than we did with the Rolling Stone uh, list. With Rolling Stone's list of top 20 country albums, those weren't all choices that Jim and I agreed with, or to be honest, in some cases, even liked very much. So we tried to be pretty historical and factual about what those albums were. When were they released? Who played on them? What was going on in the world of country music at that time? And what we thought of them. In this case, obviously, these are all albums that I like and agree with because they made my list. So therefore, what I'm going to focus on is why are they on here? What do they mean to me? When did I discover this artist? What do I think about this artist? All right, folks, as Chris said, last episode, we had a nice long look at the Rolling Stone Top 20. This episode, my co-host, Chris, is going to give us his Top 20. Excuse me, Sonny. I guess I'll give this to you. You're the tallest one. Okay. What is it? Well, that there is a list of the songs that you boys will be playing tonight. At number 20, Lucinda Williams, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. Sitting in the kitchen, a house of Macon, Loretta singing on the radio. Smell of coffee, eggs and bacon, car wheels on a gravel road. Yeah, we talked about this one in the last episode since it also made the Rolling Stone list. So I'm not going to rehash the stuff we talked about last time, but I want to give a few thoughts about what this one means to me. So first of all, I really enjoy the vibe of Lucinda Williams records and this one in particular. Now, as I mentioned in the last episode, one of my great regrets is that I haven't managed to see her live yet, but when I listen to her music, and specifically when I listen to Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, I get the same vibe from listening to her recording that I do from listening to a lot of musicians when I go and see them live. It really feels like she's leaving it all on the stage, or in this case, the recording studio. It won't take me back when I come around Says he's sorry, then he puts me out I got a big chain around the neck And I'm broken down like a train wreck Well, it's over I know it, but I can't let go It just kind of comes through that she's putting everything she has into this performance even though it's in a much more controlled environment. I also, and I think I touched on this in the Rolling Stone episode, I love the Americana aspect of this one. I like the way it's not just pure country or pure rock or pure anything. It's kind of an amalgamation of all of those things. And to me, 
you know, Americana is a big part of who Lucinda Williams is. The other thing I like is her ability to tell a story. So if you listen to a song like Lake Charles, which is on this album. He had a reason to get back to Lake Charles. He used to talk about it. He'd just go on and on. You almost feel like she's reciting this story to you. The story is actually about a man that she's singing about who was born in Nagadocious, but he tells everyone he's from Lake Charles. Now, I know most of the listeners aren't going to know where either of those places are. She does explain it in the song. He was born in Nagadocious. is a small-ish town in East Texas. Lake Charles is in Louisiana, uh, of course, made slightly famous by the band in up on Cripple Creek. But the man in this story, you know, he's born in one place, but he's telling everybody else he's from somewhere else. And we've all known someone like that or can identify that with that feeling a little bit ourselves. Everybody here comes from somewhere just as soon forget you know we've all wished we were something we weren't you know i wish i was a cowboy i wish i was a football player whatever it is and the man that she's singing about you can tell that you know he's constructed this life for himself that is the life he wants instead of the life that he was born into and what fascinates me about this is we don't know who the man in the song is. She never really says, is it a, a former lover? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? No idea. All we know is that he goes back to Lake Charles to die. Did an angel whisper in your ear and hold you close? about this song that I find really captivating. Uh, there's another song that I think everybody should listen to on this one. It's called Greenville. Now, I'm not saying everybody should really dig into the lyrics and try and make sense of the song, although it is an interesting story. But what you should do on this one is just listen to the harmonies provided by Emmy Lou Harris. The two voices between Lucinda and Emmy Lou combine in this incredible way because they sing nothing alike. You know, Amy Lou has that really like gossamer voice and Lucinda is just a little bit more hard edged, but the way that they harmonize on this song is incredible. If you just throw on a pair of headphones and listen to the two of them sing, you don't even have to, it, they could be in a language you don't even know. And it would still be majestic the way that they put it together. You lose your temper, someone looks at you wrong, looks at you wrong, oh, looks at you wrong. Go back to Greenville. Uh, the story's great, but the vocals are just like this perfectly layered art. So 
At number 20 on my list, Lucinda, Lucinda Williams, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. Turn off the trouble, I can turn off a lie when all been left me, it just ain't rival, it's over. I know, but I can't let go. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, that is a good album, and I think there's a good chance we're going to be talking about that one again in the future. Coming up at number 19, Steve Earle, Guitar Town. Hey, pretty baby, are you ready for me? Yeah, it's a good rockin' daddy down from Tennessee. I'm just out of about San Antonio with a radio blasting in the bird dog. Chris, why did this one make your list? So Steve Earle is somebody that I've always kind of been aware of, but I, I didn't really start listening to him until somewhere around maybe 20, 22 years ago. Uh, I kept seeing his name over and over listed as being one of the performers at a music festival, or I would hear some of our more musically inclined friends talking about him. So at one point, uh, in the late nineties, I decided that, that I had to go out and make an effort to really start listening to his music. Now, some of it I had heard before a few of these songs were on the radio. So it's not like I hadn't heard the title track here, uh, guitar town. Uh, it's not like I hadn't heard some of the other songs, but they weren't, it wasn't like I ever really sat down to listen to this album as an experience. Once I did. I really like, there's just so much that comes through here. Um, first of all, the title track, let's talk about that. So we talked about footlights in the Rolling Stone episode when we talked about Merle Haggard with the serving 190 proof album. And you made the point that that song is about somebody who is, you know, telling the listeners that they live, they lead this life that most people would be envious of you know they're out on stage they're they're making music they're singing songs they're doing things that almost everybody listening to them wishes they were doing instead but instead they just feel stuck in this grind of going from show to show to show day to day to day and they don't really see any light at the end of the tunnel well the title track here is kind of like the anti-footlights so the title character also finds himself with nothing to do but go from show to show to show, but he hasn't become disillusioned by this yet. This was Steve Earle's debut album. He did receive two Grammy nominations for it, uh, for Best Male Country Vocalist and Best Country Song. So although I do find most of the songs on this album to be excellent songs, there is one other that I want to specifically talk about here, and that's Hillbilly Highway. And that Hillbilly Highway on that hill. It's about the struggle of a family to make a better life for their son. So in the opening verse, 
the grandfather of the narrator is leaving his country life as a minor to go to Detroit and get a job so that he can send more money back to his family. My granddaddy was a minor, but he finally saw the light. He didn't have much, just a beat-up truck and a dream about a better life. Grandmama cried when she wept by you never heard such a lonesome sound. Pretty soon the dirt road turned into uh, the reason he wants to do this is he wants his son to be able to go to college. So the son does go to school. He does make something of himself. But then, much to his dismay, his own son, uh, the narrator, decides he doesn't want to be in school. So he quits school in order to go uh, on the road and be a musician. So it's kind of like this interesting circle of life where you have a grandfather who sacrifices everything in order to get his son into the corporate world. Now we worked and saved this money so that one day he might sell. My old man off to college to use his brains and not his hands. Grandmama cried when he said goodbye. You never heard such a lonesome sound. Daddy had himself a good job and used to one more. And then after successfully entering the corporate world, he finds that his own son wants nothing to do with it and kind of wants to go back to his roots. I really just find some artistic beauty in that one. Yeah, Chris, I agree with you. That Steve Earle record, Guitar Town, that's, that was one that, you know, if we had done top 25s, I would have had that in. Uh, this record came out in the later part of the 80s, towards that time when vinyl was starting to decline and CDs were taking over. I remember it was one of the last things I bought new on vinyl. Chris, you have often observed in terms of storytelling and the artist's intention and themes and things like that, a huge difference between having the old vinyl album time limitations compared to when CDs came out, all of a sudden you had 80 minutes to play with. You had almost double the time that you would have available on a vinyl record. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, there are a couple so let's go back for a moment in our minds to the last episode when we were talking about the Miranda Lambert album, The Weight of These Wings. So that was actually a, a double album, and it's good. There's no doubting that it's good. But if you go through the 94 minutes on that album and you had to select the best 35 minutes of it, you would have one hell of a record. But if you listen to an album like Guitar Town, there's really no filler even the songs that we think of as filler they're pretty good songs so i really think that if artists now would go back to making albums like this where 
they just try and go for the absolute best 35 to 40 minutes worth of material they have. I think that people would find the listening experience to be completely different. So I, I think this kind of calls back to an era in which music was just a lot more concise and there was a lot more to say in a lot fewer words. So they did a better job of not being repetitive or letting something that's maybe not as good a quality as the rest of the song slip through. Keeping with the short, sweet, brilliant, classic theme of a short vinyl album that grabs you with every song, Chris at number 18 is going to give us Marty Robbins' Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. Nighttime would find me in Rose's Cantina. Music would play and Ferdinand would whirl. Chris, this is going to be on most of the lists we talk about. Why for you? Well, a couple of reasons. Musically, I mean, let's be honest. Marty Robbins has one of the best voices ever to grace the planet. Right. Thank God he was born at a time in which recording technology exists. Imagine how many Marty Robbins and George Jones lived prior to the recording era, and we'll never hear that. But now, aliens in space can hear him until the end of time. A simple binary code transmitted by carrier wave signal. Radio. He's never going to stop existing. And... That's a wonderful thing. What I really like about this album is where I grew up. You know, I grew up in West Texas. So I grew up watching, you know, every John Wayne movie that ever comes along. Every Saturday is dedicated to the Western shows that used to be on, like Branded or The Rifleman or uh, Cheyenne, Bonanza, whatever was on on Saturdays. That's what I watched. The Rifleman. The Cheyenne Show. Starring Clint Walker as Cheyenne. And I wanted to be, you know, a cowboy. I, I wanted to be that guy. Saddle track, saddle track. And when I listen to this record, I get to kind of be that guy by osmosis. The songs here are all mostly classics, right? We have Big Iron, which I think we talked about a little in the El Paso episode as just being another good song on this album. Uh, that is a song, of course, that Bob Weir has done in some of the incarnations of his band. To the town of Alwafria, go to stranger one fine day. Spoke to folks around him, didn't have too much. 
much to say No one dared to ask his business No one dared to make the slip Stranger there among them Had a big iron on his head Big iron on his head So it's a song that I've heard live a lot of times and always enjoyed. Uh, we have El Paso, which of course we talked about in the murder ballad episode, since it was the featured murder ballad that we let off with. And then there's also a song like Cool Water. In fact, you use that as an interesting comparison as to Marty Robbins' vocal style uh, in the song El Paso itself. Old Dan and I with throats burned dry and souls that cry for water. Cool, clear water. Night a wild young cowboy came in, wild as the West Texas wind. So you have a lot of these classic songs on here. Um, you also have a song, like one of the deeper cuts that I really like here is called They're Hanging Me Tonight. It's just a sad song about a man who finds himself in this situation where he knows what the penalty is going to be for what he's going to do, but he just can't stop himself from doing it. My heart is Of each tear, I think about the thing I've done. I know it wasn't right. They'll very flow tomorrow, but they're hanging me tonight. So when I listen to this one, I'm able to kind of immerse myself mentally uh, into that sort of a world. You, you know, the, you're out on a horse, you're on the trail, you're in the posse, you're riding down the bad guys. Another interesting fact about this one is in 2010, Big Iron actually uh, was featured in one of the Fallout video games. And, and they actually had an in-game uh, clip of the song. In this town there lived an outlaw by the name of Texas Ray. Many men had tried to take him, and that many men were dead. He was vicious and a killer, though you the 24, and the notches on his pistol numbered one. And that actually led to a bit of a resurgence. So you kind of had a whole new audience that discovered this song, well, that particular song, and hopefully they've done what we all did when we were kids, and they've gone back to figure out, well, what is that from? And how can I listen to more? So for me, there's two things that I like, or two aspects, I guess, that I like to this record. The first, again, is just the absolute musicianship of the players and the gorgeous vocals provided by Marty Robbins. And the second thing is just the stories that he's telling us. I, I really enjoy this kind of stuff. It reminds me of my childhood. It reminds me of all those shows I used to watch and movies I used to watch. Um, lately, I've been watching some Gene Autry movies in preparation for upcoming episodes. And so this just kind of reminds me of a, a purer time like that. Down in the horse corral, standing alone is an old cavallo a strawberry roan 
His legs are all spavered, he's got pigeon toes. Little pig eyes with the dawn, I'll wake and yawn and carry on to Waterloo. Cool, clear water. I caught a good one, it looked like it could run. Up on its back and away I did ride Just as fast as I could From the West Texas town of El Paso Back to the badlands of New Mexico Again, this is one we're going to be talking about Down the road quite a bit And as Chris mentioned We will have a future six-string hayride episode Coming up featuring the songs and theme songs Of the great cowboy TV shows, the Singing Cowboy movies, Gene Autry, Sons of the Pioneers, The Lone Ranger, the whole lot. If you want to stay in touch and keep track of future episodes, please follow us on Facebook at Six String Hayride. And please always feel free to email us at sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. And rolling and swinging right along, literally, uh, up next, number 17, the fantastic Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, the anthology. Oh, everybody dance now. Oh, let's start out by talking about why we're using an anthology. Sometimes you have artists. Hank Williams is one, Bill Monroe is one, Bob Wills was one, where they didn't really exist in the LP era too much, or at least the heart of their career, the peak of their career, did not. So for certain artists, like Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, the only practical way to put them on that list is to use some sort of anthology. So in this case, we have the anthology 1935 to 1973. So I'll talk about a couple of songs here. I know Jim mentioned that we're probably going to talk about this one on a future episode. So I'll just talk about a couple of the songs that I like and a couple of facts about Bob Wills that I find interesting. First of all, I became aware of Bob Wills through the music of a couple of my musical heroes, uh, Waylon and Willie. Specifically, Waylon Jennings has a song called Bob Wills is Still the King. And in his live act, Willie Nelson often plays Stay a Little Longer, which is a Bob Wills song. Stay all night, stay a little longer, dance all night. Dance a little longer, pull off the coat, pull it in the corner. Don't see why you don't stay a little longer. I don't honestly remember when I started listening to Bob Wills himself. Uh, for sure, I was under the age of 10. I would have been an older adult that I knew who had a record collection. Uh, could have been some 78s. I, I Honestly, I don't recall, but I do recall listening on somebody's record player and just hearing this fantastic collection of this man who was emphasizing everything with these yeehaws and ahas and this just incredible like stage presence that just seeped through even on these 
crappy sounding tinny recordings, which thanks to modern technology are no longer crappy sounding tinny recordings. Uh, now that we're not forced to listen on grandma's 78 Victrola with a needle that hasn't been changed. Uh, I would actually direct the listeners to go listen to Tyler Mahan Co.'s excellent Cocaine and Rhinestones podcast. The third episode of his podcast is about Spade Cooley. And apparently Spade Cooley was the first person to ever be known as the king of Western swing. Um, as you will learn if you listen to that episode, Spade quickly fell out of public favor when he very brutally and very savagely murdered his wife, Ella May, winding up in prison where he died. But once Spade Cooley falls out of favor with the public due to his issues, we'll say, Bob Wills quickly becomes known as the King of Western Swing, and it's a title that he very much deserves. For anyone who's not familiar with Western Swing, think of big band music played with country instruments. So you have fiddles and guitars instead of horns and percussion. Let's talk about a couple of the songs that I like in particular. Uh, first of all, take me back to Tulsa. Where's that gal red dress on some folks called a diner? Stole my heart away from me way down Louisiana. Take me back to Tulsa. I'm too young. It's a really upbeat, fun song. And I really love the big band style harmonies that they do here. It kind of reminds me of the Glenn Miller song, uh, Pennsylvania 65,000. I'm too young to marry. Take me back to Tulsa. I'm too young to marry. Specifically, the little vocal chorus part, where literally all they say is Pennsylvania 65,000. Also, there's this part of the song that it's definitely racist, but it's incredibly honest. There's a line in the song that goes, Darky raise cotton, white man gets the money. Little bee sucks the blossom, big bee gets the honey. Darky raise cotton, white man gets the money. Take me back to Tulsa, I'm too young. To and I, I don't know what they were going with with that lyric. I'm not sure if they were trying to say it's just the way things are. It's wrong. It's the natural order. I have no clue. But especially for the time, I find that to be an incredibly honest observation. It, it, there's always an oppressed member of society who's doing all of the work for someone else to reap all of the reward. Uh, another song on here that I really enjoy is a song called Roly Poly. The song itself is about this kid who just eats and eats and eats. Um, they're hoping he'll grow up to be a big, strong man someday. But right now, he's just a fat little pudgy kid who eats everything in sight and then some. Come in, Tommy. Roly-poly, eating corn and taters, yeah. hungry every minute of the day. Ah. Roly-poly, gnawing on a biscuit, 
long as he can chew it, it's okay. He can eat an apple pie and never even bat an eye. He likes everything from soup to hay. Uh, but the, the particular reason that I enjoy this song, it's a very good example of Bob Wills with all of his little vocal accent emphasis things with the ha's and the ahas. Um and of course he calls in Tommy Duncan on on this song. Bread and jelly 20 times a day. Oh, Roly poly eats a hearty dinner. It takes lots of strength to run and play. Yes, yes. Pulls up weeds and does the chores and he runs both ways to all the stores. He works up an appetite that way. Oh, oh. And it's funny, as I was listening to this in preparation for this episode, this is a song I've heard hundreds of times in my life, but since we've started this podcast, I've kind of gotten more intellectual in my thinking about music. And I'm realizing that Bob Weir loves this kind of music and has this habit of always saying ha and ah. is where he got it from well thanks chris for that information and insight on bob wills i couldn't agree with you more the guy had a huge hand in inventing a whole new kind of music and it's a great choice moving on to number 16 chris is going to give us hank williams jr the pressure is on tell us about hank jr chris well uh, of course, he's the son of the legendary Hank Williams. So I, I can imagine that having pressure in the name of an album is, you know, it come it probably comes from a fairly internalized place. So, of course, the two big hits on this one are A Country Boy Can Survive. Country folks can Field all day long. I can catch catfish from dusk till dawn. Make our own whiskey and our own smoke too. Ain't too many things these old boys can't do. And all my rowdy friends have settled down. But I need to find a friend just to run around. But nobody wants to get high on the town and all my rowdy friends have settled down uh, however another clip i'd really like to have the listeners hear is one of my favorite deep cuts of hank jr's and that's the coalition to ban coalitions and this is the coalition to ban coalitions the views of a musician yeah, I've got some. Some folks want to ban cars. Some want to get rid of electric guitars. Why can't everybody else leave everybody else alone? This one comes out at a point in time in the early 80s, uh, as a matter of fact, 1981, where all of these groups were kind of forming. Don't eat animals. Stop smoking. Don't go hunting. Let's ban this. Let's ban that. 
And so it's just kind of an interesting commentary on how everybody seems to want to take something away from somebody else. So he just thinks that that's what should be banned is the people who want to ban things. This is the coalition to ban coalitions. I ain't a politician, but I've got views. Some folks want to ban cars. Some want to get rid of Fender guitars. Why don't you do your thing and we'll do our thing too? Um, I just think it's a kind of an ironic twist on life at that time. And there's also a really nice song on here called I Don't Care If Tomorrow Never Comes, which features a vocal assist by George Jones. This world holds nothing for me. I've been lonely. talk a little bit about the two hits here uh, a country boy can survive this is a song i always liked as a kid uh, it kind of reminded me of some of the people i knew i myself never really identified with the narrator in this one you know i wasn't living back in the woods uh, i didn't have a truck i did have a dog i live back in the woods you see woman and the kids and the dogs and me i got a shotgun a rifle and a four-wheel drive and a country boy can survive so even though i never felt like the song was speaking directly to me about myself i always just it reminds me of people i knew so there's always been kind of some comfort in there. It's like when you put on an old, comfortable pair of shoes. Well, up next at number 15, another fantastic album, brilliant artist that we will talk about a lot over the course of the Hayride podcast, Tom T. Hall in Search of a Song. This is another one that Rolling Stone got right. So we talked a bit about this in the last episode. We talked about quite a few of the songs on here. So I want to take a little bit of time to talk more about Tom T. Hall, the songwriter, and Tom T. Hall, the singer. Uh, I mentioned when I spoke about him last time that he has this observational way of writing a song, that things that the rest of us just kind of see as random bits of our lives are things that strike a man or struck a man like Tom T. Hall as something that would be the future basis for a song. In addition to those sort of observational things, he also has this way of like a, a twisted, unexpected ending. So the song I'll talk about in particular on this album, it's called Second Handed Flowers. Working in Miami for a day or two, I decided I'd look up a girl that I once knew. So the idea is, and again, with these songs, you never know if this is Tom T. Hall writing about himself or someone he knew or just some completely invented character. 
But the idea here is that the singer finds himself in Miami for a couple of days and he decides he's going to look up this girl that he used to know. And the lady at the flower store tells him, oh, well, she got married a long time ago. Said she had married long ago. Times will change and towns will change. There I was alone. And suddenly I wondered, would Susie be at home? And he decides it doesn't matter. You know, when she sees him, she's going to forget about everything else and just want him and only him. So he starts to wonder, well, will she even be home? So he goes to her house. And when he gets there, he sees a whole bunch of people and they've got flowers too. And listeners, I'm sure you know where we're going here. Susie, she's not going to make it. It turns out she's been in an awful car crash and she's at death's door. Then I noticed there were people standing in line. And some of them were holding pretty flowers just like mine. They explained that Susie had been in an awful crash. Doctors said that she had just a little while to last. So she sees the flowers and says, oh, well, thanks. You brought me flowers. And so ultimately he does deliver the flowers, but not with the outcome he was expecting. So again, I know that if we're going to talk about things like how many records were sold or how many headlining tours did somebody do? Tom T. Hall's never going to fall into those categories, but he's definitely somebody that most people with a deep and abiding love of music should listen to because the man always had something to say and he always had a way to say it. So everyone do yourselves a favor. Tom T. Hall. If you liked the clips you heard in this segment, go buy his music. Thanks, Chris. And I would second all that. Tom T. did not sell a ton of records, was not successful in the traditional business sense. But if you ask a whole bunch of other country and folk and rock and roll musicians who they think is a good songwriter, you're going to hear the name Tom T. Hall. He really had a big influence on other songwriters and other musicians. And this is an excellent addition to anybody's list. So coming in at number 14, a classic that you will continue to hear discussed on this podcast, Loretta Lynn, Coal Miner's Daughter. Chris, there's a million reasons for this to be considered a great piece of music. What are your reasons? Well, it's short. It's 28 minutes and 17 seconds long. So... You know how I feel about that. Um, no, on a more serious vein, though, it was her 16th solo studio album because she had done some duet records as well. So we're not talking about somebody who is a raw beginner. We're talking about somebody who has clearly found their voice and knows what they want to say. So the song I want to focus on here is For the Good Times. Don't look so sad I know it 
Song was written by Chris Christopherson. She had a number of songs like this where essentially it was about a failed relationship and somebody moving on. Loretta herself was married to the same man for nearly 50 years until his death. And she's quite frank in her autobiography, also, of course, called Coal Miner's Daughter, that she never strayed. That temptation was there, but she never acted on it and she never gave it a serious thought because of how in love she was with the man. Here you have somebody who is a really great singer, but more so a really good selector of material to sing. She knows this is a song that's going to play well with her audience. It, it just says a lot about what an incredible singer and storyteller Loretta Lynn was. And I, I think the world is a worse place without her. I know we said goodbye to her on the last episode. And I just want to say again that, you know, she is a very important part of why we're going to do a podcast like this, because people like Loretta Lynn made a big part of the musical landscape of the country. And we owe them a debt of gratitude. So, Loretta, thank you. Thanks, Chris. That was number 14, Coal Miner's Daughter, Loretta Lynn's signature masterpiece, a record, a book, a fantastic film, the high point, the, the greatest work of her career. Well, moving along at number 13, we have one of the great power couples in country music, also known to do a very good impersonation of Sonny Liston and Muhammad Ali from time to time, George Jones and Tammy Wynette with Golden Ring. Chris, they were beautiful together. They were vicious together. Powerful music, volatile personalities. How did you get to this one on your list? I really felt like I needed to have a George Jones album on here because there's so many that I like. And I really felt like I needed to have a Tammy Wynette album on here for the exact same reason. But ultimately, as you mentioned in the Rolling Stone episode where you said if we were doing 21 albums, you'd have put the Ray Charles album in. For me, this was kind of the same thing. If I would have had 21 albums to work with, I would have put D-I-V-O-R-C-E by Tammy Wynette, and I would have put Walk Through This World With Me by George Jones on my list. But since fate and circumstances have capped us out at 20, you know, again, in, in some ways, it's just a straight-up cop-out. It's me getting two people on here in a way that I can do so that still fits with the uh, the spirit of the list. The album is incredible. The songs here are really good. And when I first started listening to this, which was probably somewhere in the 
early 80s. Um, I, I know this was one that was in the house growing up, so I would listen to it from time to time. Uh, so when I started listening to this, I was under the impression just based on the little bit I knew or that my mom would say that these two were still married. You know, here they are happily singing about a golden ring and they've got all these love songs and, you know, even the bad times are good. Uh, the album comes out in 1976. They actually had split in 1975. So you have this couple who they've worked together before. This is their seventh duet album together. They're no strangers to it. And they find themselves in this career place where neither of their individual careers are going as well as their duet career was. So now that they're no longer working together or touring together, they get back together just to try and spark their careers. But the result of that is a really good album. So the title track, Golden Ring, actually takes place, partially at least, in your city, Jim, Chicago. In a pawn shop in Chicago, on a sunny summer day, a couple gazes at the wedding rings, their own display. She smiles and nods her head as he says, honey, that's for you. It's not much, but it's the best. I like the way that the song is constructed because it follows this ring through a series of couples. It talks about how the ring itself is just an object. It's the love that makes the ring what it is. Golden ring, golden ring, with one tiny little stone. But the ring starts out with a happy young couple who then find themselves falling out of love and finally inevitably splitting. They buy the ring in a pawn shop and ultimately the ring winds up back in a pawn shop and the song ends with another couple buying it because now it's magical to them. In a pawn shop in Chicago On a sunny summer day couple gazes at the wedding rings their own display golden ring so the songwriter here is bobby braddock well also with ray van hoy but bobby braddock got the idea for this song when he was watching some television movie now i actually looked and I could not find the name of this movie. It's, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I'm sure some listener will hopefully know. Six String Hayride at Yahoo.com. If you know what this, this TV movie was. But the TV movie actually follows the, I guess we'll say life, of a handgun. So the gun changes hands several times. Uh, it belongs to a hunter. It belongs to a cop. It belongs to a criminal. And Bobby Braddock gets the idea for the song 
by watching this TV film and saying, oh, what if it wasn't a gun? So I think that's just a neat, you know, again, it shows how songwriters, they really have this way of looking at things that the rest of us would observe. And instead of just observing them, they absorb them and they turn them into songs. So let's talk a little bit about George and Tammy. You call them the Velvet Possum on the Rolling Stone episode, uh, which is a very accurate amalgamation of the Velvet Fog, which was Mel Torme and Possum, which is George Jones. He's got one of the, he's got the greatest voice in country music. There is no doubt. He's got one of the greatest voices in any music. And Tammy Wynette, although not quite as good uh, a vocalist as George Jones, you know, she was one of the few people who could fearlessly get up there and sing with the man. And boy, do their voices combine to make magic. And of course, a couple of years after this album is released, rock music sees its own version of this on-again, off-again couple, former couple, maybe a future couple with Fleetwood Mac. They go into the studio to make rumors, and that's exactly what's happening to them. They're very, in various configurations. They're in the midst of breakups and infidelity and marital issues and divorces. For some reason, out of heartache comes beautiful music, beautiful voices. Go listen to this one. You won't be disappointed. Coming up next at number 12 from the second great renaissance period in Johnny Cash's career, American number four, The Man Comes Around. The hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup? Or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around. Chris, I could talk for days about any of his records. This is your top 20 list. Lay it on us. Yeah, so we mentioned this album in a roundabout way on the uh, bonus episode that we did on the two Cash Prison albums. We talked about his comeback. And I mentioned when we talked about that, that what people think of as this like, oh, Johnny was gone and now he's suddenly back wasn't sudden at all. That the comeback didn't really succeed, at least on a wide scale with the public at large, until this album comes out. So it's released in November of 2002, meaning not too long prior to his death first of all it features his version of hurt i focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears the hole the old familiar sting 
try to kill it all away. Which hands down is probably the, the latter day thing that he's the most known for. Certainly it brought legions of new fans to Cash's music. Um, I can't really put myself in that category because of course I was listening to Johnny Cash well before that. But I will say that that song and that video in particular definitely deepened my appreciation and kind of got me in the frame of mind where I wanted to start exploring more Cash recordings. Uh, as a matter of fact, this was right around the time that you and I met. And before I knew it, you were sending me all of these various recordings of cast shows that you had seen uh, and taped. And so this album kind of led to my newfound at the time and deeper love for all of Johnny's material. Here he is doing songs like The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, which is a song that so many people know well. Or Personal Jesus, the Depeche Mode song. Your own personal Jesus. Someone to hear your prayers, someone who cares. Your own personal Jesus. I'm fascinated at this point in history by a man who's as well-established as Johnny Cash, who is covering these songs that you wouldn't think that any other artist of his, I guess, genre or generation would touch. You know, Rick Rubin had the absolute faith in what he was doing to get Johnny to record these songs. And Johnny had the absolute faith in what Rick Rubin was doing to take the advice and do it. And the man had a career resurgence, which again, unfortunately only lasted a short time before his death, but has really carried on ever since. I know a lot of people who don't care much for country music who still listen to Hurt or some of his other covers like that. And they just kind of see that as, well, that's separate though. And then one day you find him listening to a boy named Sue. Cry, cry, cry. Or I walk the line. Well, my daddy left home when I was three and he didn't leave much to Ma and me. Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. Wasted my time when I would try, try, try. Cause when the lights have lost their glow, you cry, cry, cry. Soon your sugar daddies will all be gone. You wake up some cold day and find I your the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. So this is just one of those things where if you start to go down the rabbit hole, sometimes it takes you all the way into the den and there you are, discovering new things and realizing that you should have given them a chance years ago. So that's kind of what this one means to me. My favorite song here, honestly, is his cover of In My Life, because that is one of my favorite Beatles songs. 
I just find it to be so poignant. There are places I'll remember all my life Though some have changed, some forever Not for better, some have gone And some remain When John Lennon sung it, it was almost kind of a pretend thing, right? He's talking about all these things that have happened in his life, but Lennon was still relatively young. Now, I listened to Cash sing this at a much older age, and it just takes on this new meaning. You know, here's a man truly reflecting on things that he's done, things that he remembers. So, hands down, that's my favorite song on this album. I, it's probably not technically the best, but it is the one I like the most. Another song that I really like on this one is I Hung My Head. And until we started researching this episode, I actually didn't realize that that was written by Sting. Uh, I had no idea. But that's another song that I think just fits Johnny's vocal style, especially at this point in his life. A shot rang out across the land. The horse he kept running, the rider was dead. I hung my head, I hung my head. This is another one of those albums that probably everybody should listen to at least once all the way through. Just put it on, don't say a word, sit there and listen. Thanks, Chris. I definitely agree with you on the record. Uh, well, most things Johnny Cash. And that's an excellent point about his cover of the Lennon-McCartney song, In My Life. It is considered to be one of the more well-known John Lennon Beatle tracks. But when you hear such an excellent song about a person looking back and reflecting on their life, as great as a singer as John Lennon was, the difference between a man in his mid-20s and a man in his mid-60s taking on this song and the point of view and the emotion and the baggage behind it Cash really digs into something that Lennon was brilliant enough to write, but that is difficult to convey when you're in your mid-20s and you don't have as much to look back on as somebody in their mid-60s. Some forever, not for better, some have gone. And some remains And stop and think about them In my life I love you more All right, folks, coming in at number 11 I don't think anybody's going to argue with this one Rolling Stone had it as their number one Chris has it at number 11 It's a solid album for any list For any category ever Dolly Parton, The Coat of Many Colors. Chris, please tell us about this fantastic album. 
Yeah. So as we mentioned on the Rolling Stone episode, they got this one right. Uh, clearly, I disagree with where they had it on the list. But man, did they ever nail it by putting it on the list. You know, the things that we think of when we think about Dolly Parton now, you know, she's a humanitarian. She's an actress. She's a musician. She's covered a lot of the great American songbook. She's made that fantastic run of bluegrass albums. She just seems to be everything to everyone all the time. Working nine to five, what a way to make a living, really getting by. It's all taken and no giving, they just use your mind and they never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy and you She's a fantastic human being. Like she should be the ambassador from planet Earth to those aliens that are still listening to Marty Robbins' voice. Mm -hmm. um, the question is, if you could tell teenagers of America today one thing, whether it be advice or something of support, what would it be? I would say, act like it's raining every day and wear your rubbers. <laughs> when you listen to this album, you're kind of transported back in time. This is before Dolly became those things. This is actually her eighth solo album. But at this point in time, she was working with Porter Wagoner, uh, she had been on his show for quite some time. I believe she had a five-year contract to perform with him. And not too long after this record comes out is when they finally have their split. She goes home and writes, I will always love you. I know we talked about some of the songs and some of our takes on the songs in the last episode. So there's a specific song that I want to talk about for my episode and that is the way i see you your gentle body lying here so close to me as you move your hand slowly across my one of the three songs on the album that was written by Porter Wagoner and she continues to work with Porter Wagoner until 74 but by the end of the 70s you know we have the dolly that we think of now you have songs like Traveling Man which is almost innocent in its naivete where she can't believe that oh my god her man is running off with her mother what's happening all in all the album just tells a complete story of where dolly has been and where dolly's going and where dolly wants to avoid going it's just a nice way to spend a part of your day with a big piece of the American songbook. So here at number 11, Coat of Many Colors, the fabulous Dolly Parton. Mama sewed the rags together 
So in every piece we loved She made my coat of many colors That I was so proud of Another one, Chris, where you're absolutely right. You could have a list of Chicago's best pizza places. You could have a list of your favorite Star Trek stories. And if you put Dolly Parton on either one of those lists, only a fool would start an argument with you over it. Uh, it's Dolly Parton, great songwriter, great musician. Chris is right. This is the beginning of a lot of big things for her. Number 11, Code of Many Colors. Well, folks, moving along at number 10, Chris gives us Patsy Cline showcase. Chris, it, there's a million reasons to love this record. What do you want to tell us? Well, if we're being honest, we talked about this one a lot during the Rolling Stone episode. Uh, I don't have actual stats in front of me, but my guess is this was probably the longest segment that we did. Certainly, we talked about more songs. And with good reason. I mean, the record is fantastic from top to bottom. Uh, Patsy will also feature in upcoming episodes of The Hayride. Let's just talk a little bit about Patsy herself. Now, she dies at the age of 30, but what a full life she led up to that point. You know, I myself, I'll be 50 in a few months. And so to me, 30 seems so young. But when you really look at what she accomplished, you know, how many classic recordings she has, how much her legacy endures, it's clear that even though she struggled for a long time to make it, that struggle really built her into something that was much greater than she probably would have been had she been the typical, you know, overnight success story instead of somebody who really had to fight and fight and fight to make it. It's really a pity that we lost her when we did, because with the recordings that she left us in such a short time, who knows what she would have done between then and now. But let's talk a little bit about Crazy. So, of course, Crazy was written by Willie Nelson. And I'm crazy for thinking that my love could hold you. Crazy for trying, crazy for crying, and I'm crazy for loving you. It was also included on his first album, which was called And Then I Wrote. I found a stat that I thought was pretty interesting. In 1996, Crazy became the all-time most played song in jukeboxes in the U.S. Crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. I'm crazy, crazy for feeling so blue. Now, I have no idea if that record still stands, but you know what a what a feat for something to accomplish especially you know in 1996 patsy had had you know been dead for over 30 years so that just tells you how much the song endured as far as the song itself i really find it interesting the way that the jordanaires provide their backup vocals if you listen to the song they're not really singing 
along with her as much as they're just accenting what she's doing. Worry. Why do I let myself worry? The phrasing of the song is fairly intricate, and she sings it slightly behind the beat. So for the Jordanaires to just kind of lay back and give her the room that she needed in order to find her own voice and to make it the record that it became, it's fascinating. When she first went into the studio to record it, she had just been in a car accident where she had some bruised ribs. So she was having a difficult time with the vocals. But three weeks later, she goes back into the studio and she nails the vocal on the first take. What in the world did I do? Oh, crazy for thinking that my love could hold you. As far as Willie's contribution with the songwriting, uh, I had read that Patsy had heard a demo of the Willie Nelson song Nightlife, and for whatever reason, she didn't like it. But her husband, Charlie Dick, was at Tootsie's Orchid Lounge in Nashville, the establishment that's famously just across the alley from the Grand Ole, well, from the Ryman Auditorium where the Grand Ole Opry was uh, held at the time. And the two of them were drinking. And I guess Charlie just really enjoyed the song when Willie put it on the jukebox at Tootsie's. He had a demo with him and he popped it on the jukebox and Charlie liked it and thought it would be great for Patsy. So he tells Willie, come on, we're going to go home. I'm going to play the song for Patsy. We're going to talk her into recording it. Well, they get to their house and Willie's like, eh, it's after midnight. So I really think I'll just stay in the car. So apparently Charlie goes in plays the song for Patsy a time or two, and she just goes out to the car and says, well, you coming in or what? So, you know, here's a collaboration which has just led to this legendary thing. This launches Willie as a songwriter, although he had had a little bit of success prior, and this establishes Patsy as a star. She had already had the hit with Walking After Midnight. I stopped to see a weeping willow lying on his pillow Maybe he's crying for me. And as the skies turn gloomy, night winds whisper to me, I'm lonesome as I can be. You know, here's another smash that she puts out that just really launches her into the stratosphere. I really can't say enough about this album or why I love it or just Patsy in general. Well, Chris, thanks very much for that incredibly thorough and thoughtful examination of crazy and the collaboration between patsy klein and willie nelson two of our all-time favorites and with good reason music lovers so up next at number nine chris gives us merle haggard swinging doors and the bottle let me down not feeling any pain at closing time But tonight your memory found me much too sober Couldn't drink enough to keep you 
off my mind. So, of course, this one is often just referred to as Swingin' Doors. Uh, that is one of the hits on the record, along with The Bottle Let Me Down. So, the two songs that form the name of the record both wind up being hits. Swingin' Doors makes it to number five on the country charts. And I've got swinging doors, a jukebox, and a bar stool. And my new home has a flashing neon sign. The Bottle Let Me Down hits number three. That's Haggard's biggest hit to date at this point. Tonight, the bottle let me down. So the reason I like this one so much, it is the second album that Merle does with the strangers, which of course will become his longtime backing band, essentially for the rest of his career. Roy Nichols, who we've talked about on the podcast before and Ralph Mooney. So we have Roy on guitar. We have moon on pedal steel. Uh, we've definitely talked about Ralph Mooney before, because I mentioned him when we spoke about dreaming my dreams, uh, by Waylon Jennings, you have, uh, James Burton who of course goes on to become the latter day band leader and guitarist in Elvis Presley's TCB band. Uh, actually, I believe he assembled that band for Elvis during the Vegas residencies. And you also have Glenn Campbell providing some guitar here. The reason I really like this one is because it is so early in Merle's career. So you kind of hear the rougher, edgier version of the hag that we're all going to come to know and love from this point forward. You sort of hear that forming here. His career had just been sort of eking along and he wasn't really sure what he could do to try and improve it or make it better. But as it turns out, you know, kind of stripping down his sound a little bit and getting a bit edgier is exactly what did it for him. And you hear the genesis of that on this album, especially with the bottle, let me down. That's just an incredibly honest vocal take on a man with some problems. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Uh, any list with Merle Haggard is going to be a great list and you pretty much can't have a list without him. And I think we can say the same thing about what Chris is going to offer us at number eight. Waylon Jennings, Dreaming My Dreams. Someday I'll get over you. I'll live to see it all through. But I'll always miss dreaming my dreams with you. Chris, I know this is one of your favorites. Let us know why. Well, let's say you're growing up in West Texas in the late 70s and early 80s. So Waylon's the guy who sings the theme song and narrates the Dukes of Hazard. That's that's who he is to you. As a kid, that's larger than life. Making their way the only way they know how. That's just a little bit more find a record in your mom's collection and you hear it and your brain just explodes. You're like, that's the guy. That's the guy. Now you get to the last song on this record and you hear about this guy who's supposed to be the king. Uh, the song, of course, is Bob Wills is still the king. I grew up on music that we call Western Swing. 
It don't matter who's in Austin, Bob Wills is still the king. Now to you, you're pretty sure Elvis is the king. You know, again, it's it's the late 70s, early 80s. You've been hearing Elvis is the king. But now a year or two goes by, and it turns out that your childlike brain was soaking up all these things as a sponge. You're at someone's house, and you see this record by Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys, and you start to realize that life is circular. Music leads to more music. This one is really important to me in my own personal music journey. We talked a lot about the actual songs on the album uh, last time. Of course, Are You Sure Hank Done It This Way was a big part of why I then went on to try and figure out who Hank was. Somebody told me when I came to Nashville, son, you finally got it made. Old Hank made it here. We're all sure that you will, but I don't think Hank done it this way. No. I don't think Hank done it this way. With Bob Wills is still the king, I really felt like I had to go figure out who this supposed king was since I thought someone else was the king. And both of these things lead me to this musical exploration that's kind of lasted the rest of my life. It's sort of like when I first started listening to the earliest Rolling Stones records and I heard that, oh, this is a cover of this song by this blues artist. And I would go look that artist up. And I know we talked about this on a prior episode where one thing leads to another leads to another, but this, this album is perfectly an explanation of that in my own musical journey. This is what led me to seek out other things. I, I really can't say enough about this one. I think this is something that everyone should listen to. Everyone should own. There's nothing bad about this album at all. Maybe except for the toll that it took on Waylon. Uh, the man lived and partied harder than most. And unfortunately, eventually the, the bills come due. Um, other than that, though, fantastic record. If you haven't heard this top to bottom, please do yourself a favor. Go to the local record store and buy it. Go to whatever streaming service you, you have and listen to it. Just you'll be happy that you did. Cowboys have to fall in love, get hurt and all that bit. Let their hearts hang out so they can write you all ahead. So ladies, if they ask you, don't refuse. Let's all help the cowboys sing the blues. Next, we have the man who here on the Hayride we often refer to as the sparkling hit machine. And if you look at the outfits and if you look at the album charts of the 1960s, you will see Buck Owens all over the place. At number seven, Chris gives us Buck Owens, the Carnegie Hall concert from July of 1966. Of course, when I was growing up, I knew who Buck Owens was. Uh, I wasn't living under a rock. Hee-haw was a thing that got played on a lot of the TV sets in the neighborhood. Didn't matter which kid's house you went to. If you were in someone's house and hee-haw was on, hee-haw was on. But I really didn't get into Buck Owens, the musician, until just a handful of years ago, or at least I didn't do a deep dive. 
Uh, I was familiar with a lot of the hits. I was familiar with a lot of the material, but I didn't really ever make the point to sit down and just soak it all up. Once I did, I really have to admit, I don't know what I was doing for all those years. I have no idea why I hadn't gone and done this before. So, you know, again, this is the most recent entry into my own list, but what an entry. So this features the classic lineup of the Buckaroos, which is what Buck's backing band was always called. So here we have uh, Don Rich, we have Doyle Hawley, we have Tom Brumley, and we have Willie Cantu. Prior to Buck, I believe the only two country concerts at Carnegie Hall were a Grand Ole Opry show in 1961, which featured uh, Patsy Cline, Marty Robbins, Jim Reeves, Farron Young, the Jordanaires, and some others. And then Johnny Cash played there in 1962. Lives in Bakersfield, California. Has a great big ranch out there. He's had so many hits, I lost count about 20 years ago. He's won almost every conceivable award there is given in the country world, time and time again, year in and year out. Ladies and gentlemen, America's number one country artist, a warm Carnegie Hall welcome for Buck Owens. So by this point in Buck's career, he's actually had so many hits that the band is forced to play a handful of medleys just to get them all in. Uh, this also features a lot of the onstage comedy bits they were doing at the time. We don't know if they're ever going to make it or not, but if they ever should, we want to be sure and say we did one of their songs. No, ma'am. Yeah, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. The ladies said the Beatles. We ain't done it. Well, then what? We're the bedbugs. <laughs> they're making fun of beetle wigs, and they're just doing some weird lyrical twists with walking the floor and essentially just cutting up on stage. The album itself is almost perfect from top to bottom. It's just not a bad note on there. And again, keep in mind, this is at a point in time where recording technology was nowhere near as advanced as it is today. So this one sort of has some Beatle bookends. It kicks off with Act Naturally. They're gonna put me in the movies. They're gonna make a big star out of me We'll make a scene about a man that's sad and lonely All I gotta do is act naturally was covered by the Beatles the year prior And towards the end, before the final medley of songs They actually do a version of Twist and Shout Where they're wearing Beatle wigs <laughs> you can hear that these guys are just having a good time they're enjoying what they're doing and they're absolutely at the peak of their craft buck owens carnegie hall concert that's gonna live here that's gonna live here that's gonna 
sadness that's gonna live here again. Okay, folks, at number six, Chris gives us the man himself, the hillbilly Shakespeare, Hank Williams, the singles collection. Chris, why does everybody love Hank? Well, they're pretty sure he done it this way. Except for Whalen. He's not really sure Hank done it this way. As for the rest of us, all we can say is the way Hank done it was the way it should be done. So this is going to be one of the three anthologies on my list. Uh, we talked about one with Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys. There's another one coming up in a couple of spots. But again, you have artists like Hank Williams where they didn't really exist during the LP period. Uh, don't get me wrong. Hank Williams did release two LPs in his lifetime. But really, primarily his work was done as a singles artist. This is not quite the entire Hank Williams discography. Uh, the stuff he recorded as Luke the Drifter and some duets with Audrey Williams are missing. Nonetheless, this is 83 songs, which do represent the bulk of the material released in Hank's lifetime. Say, hey, good looking. What you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? We go honky tonking round this town. See Mama Shazamio Pick guitar, fill fruit jar and be gay Son of a gun, we'll have big fun on Dubai It's kind of strange to think about 83 songs somehow making someone the most famous hillbilly artist that ever lived until you realize that Robert Johnson left us with only 29 songs and no one questions his importance to the blues you know even in death this man was just unstoppable uh, also he left quite the musical legacy in the form of his son as evidenced by the fact that i have a hank jr record which made my list as well uh, i don't know if people are aware but early in his career hank jr was sent out on the road by his mom essentially as a cover band of his father and Clearly, that led to him developing his own voice and his own desire to say something. So the entire Williams family is just the gift that keeps on giving. Hank Williams Singles Collection, again, it's not everything that he recorded. It's close enough. You should listen to it if you haven't. So from a technical perspective, Hank Williams is not the same caliber of singer as, say, a George Jones. Oh, my faith in you is gone, but the heartaches linger on. Take these chains from my heart and set me free. But the range of emotions that he can call up when you hear him sing, it's just unparalleled. Really, go listen to this. Absorb it. Listen to it again. Cry. Weep openly. A memory from your lonesome past 
keeps us so far apart Why can't I free your doubtful mind And melt your cold, cold heart Another love before my time Made your heart sad and blue Maybe you'll call into work on the way to work Because you just get caught up in it Who can say? Okay, up next, number five, Jerry Jeff Walker, Viva Terlingua. Chris, this is a record that you turned me on to. I hadn't heard it until we were discussing it. I'll let everybody else know why you think this is such a great album. Well, for one thing, this one and I were born just a few months apart. I'm born in June of 73. This one's born in November of 73. 73 is a great year. Don't matter how you do it. They say, just do it like you know it. And I've been down this road once or twice before. Getting by, getting by, my this is one of the formative records of my childhood. My mom had a copy that she had recorded on cassette from somebody's LP. So I would listen to this under the covers late at night when i was a kid probably seven eight years old i would play it really really quiet because i didn't want to get in trouble for staying up too late but i would just listen to this over and over and over again it's funny because as i would fall asleep i would almost dream myself into the story from desperados waiting on a train yeah, I play the Red River Valley I sit in the kitchen and cry Run with fingers through seventy years Such a good song. But there's a funny story about this one. I didn't actually know who this was by until I was in my 20s. So from what I recall, the cassette copy just didn't have a label. So even though I listened to this probably 300 or 500 or 900 times as a kid, I just really didn't know what the name of the album was, who it was by, or any of those details. Now, as a kid, you don't really think like that. As an adult, you're looking in to see well, who played on this? Well, what else have they played on? What other albums did this artist make? But as a kid, you just either like something or you don't. And this was something that I really liked. I was in this bar in Phoenix, Arizona called The Wrong Number. And I hear Desperados waiting for a train on the jukebox. And I'm like, oh, I know this. So, of course, I run over to the jukebox to see who is this? Well, it's Jerry Jeff Walker. So, 17, 18, 19 years after I started listening to this one is when I finally learned who it's by. Uh, I really can't think of any other albums like that in my lifetime where it was that important to me, and yet I had no clue uh, who the artist was, just you know, for lack of a cassette label. A couple of other interesting things here. Uh, of course, this is where I began my 
love for Guy Clark's music. I didn't realize that Desperado's Waiting for a Train was written by Guy Clark until I was a little bit older. We was friends, me and this old man. Desperado's waiting for a train. By this time, I had also heard Jerry Jeff's version of L.A. Freeway, another Guy Clark song, and I really started soaking this stuff up sometime around then when I was 25, 26. Uh, again, this album I had been listening to for a couple of decades prior, but I really started my deep dive in this uh, in my mid-20s. I also noticed that as I get older, the line about we closed our eyes and we dreamed us up a kitchen from near the end of the song, it just really becomes more and more poignant. We closed our eyes and we dreamed us up a kitchen. We played another verse of that old song. Yeah, Jack, you know that some bitch is coming. Like desperados waiting for a train. You can kind of see yourself heading towards these moments in life as people who are important to you are no longer with us. For those who aren't aware of the story of desperados waiting for a train, it's essentially the story of Guy Clark and his grandmother's boyfriend and how he got to tag along as a kid and go on all these things that, you know, as a child you see as an adventure. Uh, another thing here is one of the songs on the album, in fact, it's the one that closes the album, London Homesick Blues. That one's actually written by Gary P. Nunn, and he sings the lead vocal on it. I want to go home with the armadillo the Good country music from Amarillo and Abilene The friendliest people and the prettiest women you ever seen As a kid I loved that song because it mentioned armadillos, which may seem like a weird reason to love a song, but if you're a kid who comes where armadillos are from, man, do you love that song. So yeah, if you go out and listen to this one and you're not already familiar with it, you're going to have the advantage on me because you're going to know who it's by and what it's called. Things that I did not know for a long time. Again, though, you know, when you're a kid, those things just aren't the most important in the world when it comes to your enjoyment of music. So go get Viva Terlingua and have a great time. Jim, why don't you tell us about Sangria Wine? Thanks, Chris, again. I mean, like I said, I hadn't been aware of this record until you had mentioned it. I checked it out. Uh, the thing that really struck me was a song called Sangria Wine that at first I thought, wow, this kind of sounds like a Jimmy Buffett thing. And then I listened to it a little more and then I listened to it again. And it's the best thing Jimmy Buffett wished he could take credit for. It's it's just perfect. And Buffett kind of, that's what he's shooting for. 
Jerry Jeff Walker fully delivers. Chris is right. It's a great spot on a list. And I'm glad to be aware of this record now. It's it's a great listen. Uh, speaking of great listens, moving right along to number four, we get not only a brilliant instrumental soloist, but we also get a gentleman here who had a huge hand in inventing not only a new style of singing, but a whole new style of music. We have the legend, Bill Monroe, the Bluegrass Masters. So as I mentioned a couple of spots ago on my list, uh, I had three anthologies that made my top 20 and this is the third and final one again we have the challenge where you have these artists now bill monroe was active for pretty much his entire life so don't get me wrong when i say he didn't exist within the lp era that's not entirely accurate of course there were many lps that came out during his lifetime that he recorded but Peak Monroe, you know, the development of the style, the development of the high lonesome sound, all of these things happen prior to the LP era really getting into full force. So again, in order to really represent the man, I thought it made sense to pick an anthology. So this ha this particular one contains 10 songs that are among his best and going back to 1945. A lot of these songs are either bluegrass standards like nine pound hammer ain't one hammer ain't one hammer in this tunnel in this tunnel that rang like mine oh, that rang like mine that rang like mine rang like silver rang like silver and shine like gold and shine like gold rang like silver oh, rang like silver and shine like gold or they've become bluegrass standards because they're monroe originals like uncle penn or blue moon of kentucky which was also famously recorded by Elvis. So Jim mentioned, here's a man who invents a new style of music. So let's say you have this vision in your head. You hear this thing that no one else seems to be catching on to. You can't do it yourself. You need some help. Well, what do you do? You recruit some friends, including a man who literally reinvents the way that the banjo is played. 
So thus are Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys formed. Now, when I say a man who reinvents the way that the banjo is played, I'm talking about Earl Scruggs. Prior to Earl, most banjo was played in what's known as a claw hammer style. Post Earl, when you think of bluegrass banjo, you're thinking of that three-finger syncopated banjo picking that Scruggs invented and popularized. So we have the classic lineup that forms. It features Bill Monroe on mandolin, Lester Flatt on guitar, Earl Scruggs on banjo, Chubby Wise on fiddle, and Howard Watts on bass, or what they called bass fiddle at the time, but essentially stand-up bass. So this is the first classic lineup. But when I say first, I mean first. If you think of Miles Davis or the Miles Davis Quintet, there was not one Miles Davis quintet. There are two classic Miles Davis lineups. Same here. There's going to be a lot of guys that are going to come into and out of the Bluegrass Boys over the years. We're going to have fantastic people like Peter Rowan and Del McCory. On this anthology, we have that first classic lineup that I mentioned. And this is where Blue Moon of Kentucky is born. That song launches bluegrass music as a genre. Platt and Scruggs have some disagreements with Monroe, and they go on to form Flatt and Scruggs, their own group. Of course, the other thing they're quite famous for is Foggy Mountain Breakdown, which kind of launched bluegrass into the American mainstream when it was featured in the late 60s Bonnie and Clyde film starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. After Flatt and Scruggs leave the Bluegrass Boys, we get other versions that include legends like Jimmy Martin on guitar and Vassar Clements on fiddle. Uh, Clements is actually on the session that produces Uncle Pin, which again has become a bluegrass standard since it was originally done by Bill Monroe. It tells the story of his uncle, Pendleton Van Diver, who was a locally famous fiddle player in the town that he grew up in. And... Ricky Skaggs also took that song into the charts uh, at number one in the mid-80s. Oh, the people would come from far away, they dance all night to the break of day. When the caller would holler, do si the new Uncle Pin was ready to go. That evening about sundown, high on the hill and above the town, Uncle Pin played a fiddle, Lord, how it rang. You could hear it talk, you could hear it sing. And more to the point, Vassar is one of my own personal musical idols. Uh, I was actually fortunate enough to meet him in 2003 at Old Settlers Music Festival in Austin. Uh, my friend Jim O'Brien and friend of the Hayride, Jim O'Brien, he and I were at that festival along with his family. And when we were walking through the parking lot, we did see Vassar 
heading into the venue. So we stopped and talked to him for a few minutes. I have a picture somewhere of Vassar and I, and I really wish I could find that. Uh, when I do locate it, I'll put it on the Hayride Facebook page. And honestly, that was just an incredible day of music because it actually featured a set by what they were calling themselves the Bluegrass Boys because it was three former Bluegrass Boys. It was Peter Rowan, uh, Vassar Clements, and Del McCory. Uh, as you can imagine, it was just a fantastic night of music. I was lucky enough to be backstage. It's the only time I've ever really been backstage at anything big like that. But let's bring it back to the man himself, Bill Monroe. My appreciation of bluegrass was actually so deep at one point that I used to, it was like bluegrass Sundays. That was sort of my version of church music. Every Sunday, I would listen to nothing but bluegrass. It's how I developed the love for it that I have. Well, thanks, Chris. That's an excellent discussion of Bill Monroe, truly a bluegrass master. Uh, music lovers, friends of the Hayride, Bill Monroe was really the first musician that Chris and I spent a fair amount of time discussing and listening to together uh, shortly after we had met in an online discussion of music. Chris gets in touch with me and says, hey, I've got a bunch of this Bill Monroe stuff. And he's right to make the point about musicians like Monroe not being a part of the album era in the way we know it. Most of what I got in this huge bubble mailer was collections of singles, but also radio performances and the fact that a lot of live bluegrass festivals, there were audience members that were allowed and in fact encouraged to record and document these things. lot of full-length albums in the way we know it but you have a lot of live recordings from music festivals and from radio performances and that is the bulk of the bill monroe output in this classic era you're not going to find better stuff anywhere so before we go into my third place album here let's recap my top 20 so far at number 20 lucinda williams with car wheels on a gravel road at number 19, Steve Earle, Guitar Town. At number 18, Marty Robbins, Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. Coming in at 17th, Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys, Anthology 1935 to 1973. 16, Hank Williams Jr., The Pressure is On. 15, Tom T. Hall, In Search of a Song. 14, Loretta Lynn, Coal Miner's Daughter. 13, George Jones and Tammy Wynette, Golden Ring. 12, Johnny Cash, American Four, The Man Comes Around. 11, Dolly Parton, Coat of Many Colors. On the top half of my list, we have Patsy Cline at number 10 with Showcase. Merle Haggard at number 9 with Swinging Doors and The Bottle Let Me Down. Waylon Jennings in 8th with Dreaming My Dreams. Buck Owens at number 7 with Carnegie Hall Concert. The Singles Collection by Hank Williams at number six. Jerry Jeff Walker, Viva Terlingua, number five. And Bill Monroe, Bluegrass Masters at number four. Well, folks, we're getting into Chris's top three here. 
And when I first saw this list, I was not really surprised. I was unsure of what order they would come in, but uh, Chris has excellent taste in music. He has excellent reasons for his taste in music, and he's going to explain that to us with number three, the redheaded stranger, Willie Nelson. So now let's dig into the three best albums on my list, the, which are probably the three most formative albums when it comes to my love of this genre. So we talked about Redheaded Stranger a fair bit on the Rolling Stone episode because this is something that they got right by including it. So I'll just talk about what this one means to me. So this is another one of the formative records of my youth. This one and another one, which we'll talk about here in a minute, they were on the constant replay list at my house. And not just because my mom wanted to listen to them, but because I wanted to listen to them. Uh, it's a concept album. Redheaded Stranger is about a man who's on the run for killing his wife and her lover. Well, the shock was so great, I am quivering yet. And I'll try to forgive, but I cannot forget. My heartbreaking loss is another man. There's a lyric game. here that goes, Don't cross him, don't boss him. He's wild in his sorrows, riding and hiding his pain. That I find personally to be as deep as any classic poem I've ever heard. Don't cross him, don't boss him. He's wild in his sorrow. He's riding and hiding his pain. Don't fight him, don't spite him. Just wait till tomorrow. Right you know, the story here is just incredible. A, a, a man finds his wife with another man. He loses his mind. He kills them. He goes on the run. Now the lesson is over. And the killer's begun. He runs into more trouble kills another lady as a result although in his defense on that one she was trying to steal a horse we talked about this before in el paso don't steal horses it's bad now willie's full band does play on this album uh but the main arrangements here are intentionally quite sparse uh, as we mentioned last time when this was turned into columbia there were execs there's including billy sherrill who the famous columbia producer who thought this was a demo I loved her so dearly He went out of his mind When she left him for someone She left behind They were pretty reluctant to release it. Uh, of course, we mentioned this last time, Willie's contract gave him full creative control, and so it was released. Of course, the record became a smash hit. It endures to this day. Uh, fair play to Willie for seeing the vision there. I also personally think that this is the definitive version of Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. When we kissed goodbye and part I knew we'd never meet again Love is like a dying ember. The song had been around for about 30 years at this point, 
Uh, it was actually written by Fred Rose, who famously became half of Acuff Rose, the Nashville music publishing company. When I think of Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain, I associate that song deeply with Willie Nelson. So yeah, again, like I said, when we talked about the criteria for our own lists, it was kind of hard for me not to make a list that was just my top 20 Willie Nelson albums. But here we are at number three, Redheaded Stranger. I, to this day, listen to this probably at least once a month. It's on constant replay at my house. It should be at yours, too. We'll stroll hand in hand again Absolutely. Thanks, Chris, for sharing your thoughts about Redheaded Stranger, the great Willie Nelson. Coming in at number two, another big favorite of the Hayride and a brilliant pick by Chris at this point. Number two, live at San Quentin, Johnny Cash. San Quentin, you've been living hell to me. You blistered me since 1963. I've seen them come and go and I've seen them die. And long ago I stopped asking why. Chris, there's a lot of reasons to discuss this album at length. And I know there's a lot more you want to tell us about this one. Yeah, so of course this is an album that we've talked about quite a bit already on the Hayride. Uh, we mentioned it in passing during the prison episode. And then we talked about it at length in the uh, bonus episode that we released when we covered both of the classic Cash prison albums, this one and At Folsom Prison. Uh, I'll rehash a little bit of that here, just in case anyone hasn't heard those episodes. Uh, a Boy Named Sue was released as a single from this one. Uh, this is the classic version that we're all used to hearing. You think of a boy named Sue, this is what you're thinking about. But the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. Well, he must have thought that it was quite a joke and it got a lot of laughs from lots of folks. It seems I had to fight my whole life through. Also, the expanded edition, which is what we discussed at length in the Cash Prison Albums episode, uh, features the Statler brothers who do the most amazing flowers on the wall that I've ever heard. It really sounds like the microphones are struggling to keep up with them uh, as they harmonize on that song. It's just incredible how well these guys are able to go out and just nail that. When you and your friends are one about me, I'm having lots of fun. Counting flowers on the wall that don't bother me at all. Playing solitaire to dawn with the deck of 51. Smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo. Now don't tell me I've nothing to do. So we talked a lot about the music on here when we did the Johnny Cash prison album bonus episode. Again, for listeners who haven't heard that, I'd refer you back to that episode. It's incredible. Uh, we really did a lot of digging to bring out everything we could on that one. So I'll leave you with this. 
The song Jackson. It's co-written by Jerry Lieber. Of course, when we think of Lieber, we think of Lieber and Stoller and all those classic Elvis records. But in this case, the song was written, it was recorded by the Kingston Trio, it was recorded by Flatt and Scruggs, who we just mentioned. But to me, this song belongs completely to Johnny and June. We got married in a fever. I'm concerned every version they ever did of this song including this one was the definitive version so again at san quentin johnny cash it doesn't really matter what version of it you have but if you don't own one yet please do yourself a favor go buy the expanded edition it's two cds it is a bonus dvd it's all of the material from that day you're not going to be disappointed I would absolutely believe that we're going to talk about this album again somewhere down the road on the Hayride. It's just too good. It's just too definitive. I love you, Johnny Cash. Uh, you're definitely right about Live at St. Quentin, Chris. It is one of those cornerstones in country music. And the inclusion of Maybell Carter really, I mean, the record is kind of a bridge between the old days of country and what would come later with the outlaw music in the 70s and through the 80s. Fantastic choice. I owe you a pint for that one. Now, number one. surprise this is a fantastic choice it's got chris written all over it willie nelson stardust bluebirds singing song nothing but blue skies from now on I never saw the sun shining so bright never saw things so this is so one of the formative records of my childhood not just as it relates to country music, but period. Uh, I spent hours listening to this over and over, just lying on the floor of the den in my childhood home with my head between the speakers, soaking every note on this album into the musical pores in my body. My mom was also a very serious music fan and at some point in the mid seventies, she really wanted this stereo system that was far nicer than anything we had in the house at the time. So she had put it on layaway at Sears or Montgomery wards or wherever it was. And the day that we were able to go pick that up and bring it home, one of the first things that we played was this album. And my love for the classic American songbook 100% begins with this record. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how old I was when I started listening to it, but it couldn't have been too long after it came out. Kind of standard these days that artists will do these great American songbook 
recordings. Uh, also included in that were artists like Rod Stewart, uh, Ella Fitzgerald with the Cole Porter songbook. Uh, Tony Bennett has done a lot of this kind of music. But for me, it all begins here. I really think that the vocal performance on All of Me might be one of the best vocal performances that Willie has ever turned in. It's just so clean and so classy. You just bounce along with that song in your head. All of me, why not take all of me? Can't you see that I'm no good without you? Take my arms, I won't lose them. Take my lips, I'll never the album was actually produced by Booker T. Jones, and originally he was only asked by Willie to produce Moonlight in Vermont, but that went so well that Willie essentially told him, why don't you just stay here and we're going to do this whole, whole album together? Uh, there was some controversy at Columbia. Willie was well-established in the burgeoning outlaw country movement at this point, and Columbia kind of told him he was going to commit career suicide if he put out an album like this. You know, all of your fans are going to desert you. Nobody's going to buy this. What are you thinking? You know, these are the kinds of emotions that were coming at Willie, much like Ray Charles has been told the same thing about his country album. You know, don't do it. You, you own this other genre. What are you doing? But my guess is that after Blue Skies... Skies smile at me. Nothing but blue skies do I see. Blue days all are gone. Nothing but blue skies from now on. Went to number one, and all of me. All why not take all of me? Can't you see that I'm no good without you? Take my arms, I won't lose them. To number three, the executives got over it. Uh, the record itself not only went to number one, but it stayed on the charts for 10 years. So again, the number one album on my list something that I still listen to and love, something that started my affinity for all things American music, Stardust by Willie Nelson. Apologies to my brother who was certain that Redheaded Stranger would be number one on my list. Can't get them all right. Well, we have heard the Rolling Stone top 20. Now we have heard Chris's top 20, uh, which is far more reasonable and all around civilized compared to rolling stone in fairness to them and their good rock and roll magazine not so much country uh, i'd like to remind listeners that there are seven of the 20 where either the record itself or the artist is shared by all three lists rolling stone chris and myself our next episode will be my list and please follow us on Facebook at Six String Hayride. Upcoming episodes will 
include the singing cowboys of the movie and television era and all the great theme songs that we remember from those times. We're also going to be taking a look at country music crossing over into the rock and roll era of the 60s and 70s, looking at country influences on the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, and the Kinks. Thank you very much for listening to Six String Hayride. Our email is sixstringhayride at yahoo.com. You can follow us on Facebook. And we'd like to leave you, as always, with another recipe from the kitchen of Johnny Cash and June Carter. Okay. Coming at you from the Cash Carter kitchen, we have Southern-style sausage and cheese balls. For this one, you're going to need one pound of Southern-style breakfast sausage, one 16-ounce package of shredded mild cheddar cheese, two cups of baking mix like Bisquick. You're going to preheat the oven to 350 degrees. You're going to combine the sausage, cheese, and baking mix in a large bowl and blend well. Preheat the oven to 350 degrees. Combine the sausage, cheese, and baking mix in a large bowl and blend well. Roll out small balls in your hand, a little bit smaller than the size of a ping pong ball. Place the balls on a large cookie sheet or broiler pan. Place the sheet in the oven and bake for 25 minutes or until the sausage is well done and the balls are browned. Remove and serve while still hot. For this recipe, John and June's son, John Carter, has a tip for us. You can pre-bake the balls for 10 minutes and then let them cool and freeze them in a plastic bag. When ready to serve, reheat the frozen balls on a cookie sheet in a 400-degree oven for about 15 minutes or until hot and nicely browned. Enjoy! The life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Going places that I've never been Happy trails to you Until we meet again <laughs> Damn it! I was so close!